0: Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of M365 Voice. My name is Mike Monarani.
1: I'm Sarah Halsey.
2: And I'm Antonio Mayo.
0: And tonight we are going to select a question from the audience. Uh, we just received uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the question is Can you revoke access from terminated employees who have downloaded files with Microsoft Information Protection? Slash Azure information protection with sensitivity labels applied. So, someone has no longer worked with the company and downloaded an offline version of a document, and how we can block that access?
1: Well, I think the first place to start is that to put context to the question, it's a downloaded version of the document. So, we're assuming in this case, they already would not have an Active Directory ID anymore in an ADA an AD account, um, but in this case it's a downloaded or an offloaded file off onto a personal system. So we're outside the bounds of what AD can control. So now we're talking about specifically what MIP or AIP can put in for controls, right?
2: Correct. Right, I think the answer generally is yes. Yes, he came to this like to answer the question directly. Can you revoke access for terminated employees? That depends a little bit on how the label is applied and the configuration of the label. Mm-hmm. So if you've labeled a document with a sensitivity label and that sensitivity label does not protect the document, right, so there's no encryption applied, then unfortunately, no, you can't revoke access because there's no protections around the file, right? So you're kind of out of luck if the sensitivity label is not applying protection. Now, Sarah, as you and I have talked about, we do not recommend every single one of your labels apply protection that would just make the overall experience too onerous so
1: yeah and if i could interrupt you for a second there because yeah. i think it's important when we talk about sensitivity labels in the continuum or the range of your sensitivity labels many companies will have um a few sensitivity labels right usually three or more and hopefully less than seven um, so somewhere in that happy range of three to seven sensitivity labels When you look at all of your company sensitivity labels, some of them should designate content that is not sensitive, and some of them should designate content that is less sensitive or highly sensitive. And realistically, we should only be talking about encrypting data that falls on the sensitive side of fence, right? Um, And the reason why we say that, Antonio, is because there is to a certain extent, even if it's a very, very small one, there is going to be an ever so slight delay in the time it takes to encrypt and then allow you into the file. um, And that those things, when we're talking about a lot of files for a lot of users, could have an employee experience impact. Plus, we don't want to take the nuclear option against all of the files in your organization and treat them all as your most sensitive. Sorry, that's my sidebar on less sensitive, very sensitive.
2: Yeah, I I think that's a really important point because when you talk about, okay, terminated employees and revoking access to content, there's a lot of ways to look at that. You want to do that for your most sensitive content and that's where the protections get applied typically. Mm -hmm. Um, Now there are some nuances about when you configure a label for uh, applying protection, right? You do have the option to allow offline access to documents that are protected and when you select that as part of configuring your label what happens is when i receive a protected document the first time i open it it has to be you have to be online that's communicate with azure ad and it has to validate that you in fact have access to this document so it's validating are you part of the users that this was protected for or the group that groups that this was protected for and if so and if offline access is enabled it will actually download a copy of the certificate and store it locally. And then it'll allow you to access it for a period of time until that offline access expires. And then it'll go back and check again. So this is the nuance that comes in where if you've enabled offline access for documents, which is often, uh, sorry, if you've enabled offline access for protected documents, which is often a very desirable feature if I'm working on an airplane, if I'm working somewhere where I don't have an internet connection, which is often the case for me, I very much like that ability so I can continue to work. The challenge with that is you have a bit of a window where, if I have that offline access for a period of time, well then, right, the user may be able to still open that document.
0: So let's take let's take this this as a real life scenario, and I have that feature turned on. It's encrypted. I'm allowing download access, offline access to the document, to the encrypted document, and that certificate, let's say, is going to renew every seven days. I get terminated today and the certificate is due to be renewed in maximum seven days from now, I still have access to the cached version of the document for seven days that can do anything with it, technically. You can do
1: anything with it with your cached version. You couldn't update the version on the company systems, for example, but you could email it to other people, you could do something else with it that would not be appropriate.
2: That's right. There are other permissions that are enforced with that encryption, right? So if you, um, that label that um, uh, was applied, that applied protection and allowed offline access, there's other permissions that can be configured with that label. If you have um, co-owner permissions on that document, well, then yes, Mike, what you said is exactly true. You can do whatever you want with the document, right? Copy, paste the content out, edit it, send it on to someone else in email, whatever you want if however you have other rights managed on it as well like do not forward in an email do not print um, do not edit well then you still will be restricted from those specific actions again that depends on the permissions that the label enforces on the content now that said it sounds great to say when i apply a label restrict all of these permissions the problem is that's not usually how we work right um, there's many cases where I need to protect this document for a particular audience, for a certain set of people, so I'm going to protect it, but they need to be able to edit it or do stuff with it in order to get their work done. So although it sounds great to restrict the permissions, in reality, it's actually not always to do that.
1: Yeah, I think in the employee experience impact of doing these things, and that's what you're weighing, right? You're yeah. weighing um, being the most secure and compliant that you could be against the user experience impact of adding in all of these protections. And um, and I think that that's something that all too often can get overlooked in an organization. So it should be a vast minority of yeah. files that you're taking that level of precaution with.
2: Right, and I think there's other protections you can put in place in this case as well, right? For example, if I'm on a work laptop, and I'm able to access that content on the work laptop. There are protections on the device that I can apply as well so that if I am terminated and there is risk of me doing stuff with, uh, you know, I'm a malicious person and uh, there's a risk of me doing stuff with this protected, very sensitive content, I can kill the person's session and require them to re-log into their laptop. And they, you know, won't be able to if their AD account has been disabled at that point. So there are other protections I can put in place around the device. I can also do things like um, for content that sits on certain sites or teams. Remember I can have a a label applied to that site or team and I can set those up so that if I'm on a personal device, right, a non-managed device, non-corporate managed device and I access that site or team, I only have web browser access to the content. I can't actually download a copy of it. So there's all these other protections that you have to layer on top of this kind of situation.
0: I agree. Is it an option to um, revoke access to that specific document for that specific user? So talk about user experience that Sarah was was talking about. Uh, So we don't have to put a lot of permissions, a lot of restrictions, keep that collaboration uh, way Mm -hmm. going with protected document. But at the same time, deal with that situation for terminated employees where we can actually revoke right. that access to that specific
2: document.
1: For a specific bad actor where you know who it is that you want to prevent. Exactly.
2: Right. So there is a track and revoke capability in AIP or MIP. There's actually a website that you can go to. And I don't have the URL locally. I'll see if I can find it. Um, but there is a website that you go to. Oh, I believe it's portal.azurerms.com, if anyone wants to remember that. Uh, but when you log into that, you can actually see documents that you're tracking. And documents get registered to be tracked the first time a user opens it. Now, the document needs to be um, protected with RMS uh, in order for it to be tracked and be revocable. Right. So this gets back to if you have sensitivity labels that do not protect documents, then-
1: Meaning do not only,
2: encrypt. That's right, meaning do not encrypt you will not be able to track them on this site and revoke access to them. There's a couple other nuances also with it. I can protect a document without applying a sensitivity label. So for people that don't know or for people that haven't done this for a while, if I open up a Microsoft Word document, I can go to the file tab and I can go to protect and I can apply an old school RMS template to it, which will encrypt it and protect it without actually applying a sensitivity label to it. Right, so the the nuance here is if I apply a sensitivity label that protects, it uses Azure RMS to protect the content of the document. But if I know what I'm doing, I have the option to just go and protect that document directly without applying a sensitivity label. Again, in the Files tab, and I think the button is Protect, and then I pick from a template there. Um, now, all all that to say, the track and revoke site supports protected documents, whether you've applied a sensitivity label or not.
1: So the documents
2: that will show up there are ones that I've applied a sensitivity label to, and it protects the document, encrypts it. Or if I've just protected the document with an RMS template, they will show up there. So uh, as we're
1: talking about all of this, Antonio, this becomes very complicated for I think companies to understand and follow through all the nuance of what actions a user could take and what's allowed versus not allowed. Do you recommend that companies actually flow this out. And I don't mean power automate, but I mean actually build um, some kind of a, a, a flow or a diagram or use case of we're going to protect at this point and this point and this point in the process so that you understand where the blocks or protections are coming from and where is the happy path that you allow documents to go that are right. not protected files.
2: So I do think it's worth, as you said, flowing this out, like even drawing flow. I've seen flowcharts done of some of these these types of processes. One key one, I think, is what our question started with. So when an employee is terminated, what are the steps that you follow? And I have actually seen that charted out by clients Mm -hmm. of ours um, as flowcharts. Those, I think, are really important. So to understand the employee onboarding process and the employee offboarding process, because there's all kinds of implications to the employee offboarding process not just this one that we're talking about. So I do think that's important. I think the notion of revoking access to a document happens rarely. I personally have not seen that used often. Um, And I don't, you know, although there's still documentation available on it, the site is still available, I don't see a ton of support from Microsoft on that function any longer. Um, Yeah, so I, I think it's done very rarely. So although I think it's important to do, depending on your organization, um, uh, to to map it out in a flowchart. So if you need to revoke access to something very, very highly sensitive, yes, absolutely, you should map that out. But I think it's rare that organizations need that. Um, One circumstance where I did see that that was needed recently was a, um, a health organization. It was a provincial health organization that needed a secure way to share Um, sensitive documents securely with all the doctors in the province. This is COVID, they're trying to share COVID related information with all the doctors in the province, right? Mm -hmm. And they're looking to use um, uh, MIP in order to do this. That I think is a situation where if a document got out into the wild and suddenly someone suddenly realized it and need to revoke access, you want that happy path mapped out very clearly for you.
1: But that's an example of that kind of healthcare personal information would be an example of that most sensitive content that most companies should have protected or encrypted at that level where you can immediately revoke that access.
2: Absolutely. And one more nuance around that track and revoke site. Um, uh, If offline access is enabled for documents and you go to that site and you revoke access, it still respects the offline access. So if in yeah so it doesn't it doesn't let you get around the offline access unfortunately because it's literally got the the certificate cached locally on the laptop or on the pc and it's just going to use that it's not going to go to the internet because you're theoretically offline Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, right so it's doing exactly what it says it's going to do if you do enable offline access though um, again it's a setting in the sensitivity label and you can set uh, whether you allow offline access always never or for a certain number of days And if you choose a certain number of days, I tend to recommend you choose a small number of days in order to reduce that window. Mm -hmm. It's also
0: uh, important to remember that this is supported only for specific type of files. So Office documents, PDF, and a range of images, no?
2: Only Office documents. Only Office documents. uh, Track and revoke is only Office documents.
0: Okay, what about the encrypted files though without the track and revoke? that's on PDF as well and a range of image image files as well.
2: So so uh, protecting files with MIP, so we apply sensitive label that encrypts, right. uh, all file types all are types. supported. It doesn't, okay. the file type doesn't matter because it's literally- All file
1: types out. that are eligible for a sensitivity label. So like not OneNote notebooks, not you know, some of those file that. types.
2: You could do that. So, you, so in those One cases- OneNote doesn't don't have the see. ability
1: to apply a label though, then- you,
2: You'd have to find the OneNote notebook, the file, right-click on it, go classify and protect, and then pick a label. Okay. So you could okay. still do that. I would never recommend that for a OneNote notebook because it's just too hard to work with. Like if you have like cat files and design files, you can still database
1: prepare. files, things yeah. like
2: that. Database files is another one where I don't know if I would recommend that because it's just you know usually a database file is something you're accessing from some sort of application. Right. So if you if you encrypt that how's your application gonna decrypt it and access it, right? So those kinds of system files, although you could do it, it's not really supported. Um, there are, a, There is a set of file types that MIP will not allow you to encrypt. So if you right click and, and try to do that, it'll actually stop you. So system files primarily. And there is actually, I believe a registry setting where you can um, um, expand that list. You can actually edit that list of file types that it will not allow you to protect. So, so if you do have database files, for example, and people have been encrypting them and it's causing issues, you could actually configure that so that those um, uh, file types are not encryptable. Yeah. Now, the user okay. experience is different depending on the file, the the uh, the file type that you protect, right? Like Sarah, as you and I have talked about, sometimes like the the office file formats, the, the new uh-huh. office file formats like DOCX, um, XLSX, PPTX. Those, great user experience if you protect them. PDF files, also very good user experience. Um, A certain set of image files and text files, also a pretty good user experience. All other files, it depends a little bit on the file type. Um, You know, your file extension is gonna change. Uh, In order to open and edit the file, you have to decrypt it and save an unprotected copy locally. And then when you're done editing it, you have to re-encrypt it manually. So there are some of these nuances depending on the file type. So although it sounds great to say, you can protect any file type. Practically, it doesn't always work out.
0: Right, exactly. Well, I love this topic. Sarah, do you have something else to add? No. Okay. Well, it was a really interesting topic, and I love these kind of questions because I always discover new things that I was not aware of as well. So uh, thank you for submitting this question. Thank you both. That was a great episode again, and we'll talk to you next time.
1: Time Bye, everybody.